It's Monday. That means it must be time for the Religious Studies Project. I am David Robertson. He's David McConaughey. And, and she she's Diane <laughs> <laughs> Fallon. <laughs> I'm, I'm mixing things up, guys. It's uh, This is how it's always been. You should see when Chris and I do it, it's absolute chaos. I know. It's that experience really weighing it, through, right? Keeping it's, 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 that ex- it's that experience. It's once you've done it a hundred times, you start <laughs> wanting to subvert the format. One yeah. format we're not going to be subverting this week, however, is that we have an interview this week. Yes, we do. It's the inestimable Sydney Castillo again doing brilliant work this is still coming from um, his time at the EASR uh, which was in June uh, at Tartu and uh, this time he's speaking with uh, Gablor Clonissi about doctors and stigmatics in the 19th and 20th centuries take it away so here we are again at the Least Times Project podcast it's the fifth and last day of the EASR Conference 2019 in Tartu, Estonia. And now I am here with Gabor Klenitsai from Central European University. Gabor, it's very nice to have you here. Yes, I, I'm pleased to be here too. <laughs> Thank you for interviewing. Thank you for, for joining us. And if you could be so kind to introduce yourself, please. Okay, so I'm a university professor at the Central European University at the Department of Medieval Studies. I'm uh, dealing uh, mostly with medieval uh, religious history, late medieval Christianity. That's my uh, uh, field of expertise. Within that, uh, the problem of the cult of saints, popular religion, uh, witchcraft beliefs, uh, and also another uh, aspect of my research is a little bit uh, to situate Central European religious culture in the whole European or even more uh, broader context. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Now, the, your talk in the, in the conference of the ESR has been about miraculous stigmata in the 19th, 20th century. Could you speak a little, a little bit about that, please? Yes. Well, uh, that shows that uh, I'm not only dealing with medi- medieval uh, things. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, I'm very much uh, in favor of uh, historians uh, uh, dealing also uh, with uh, the results of neighboring disciplines. And uh, there is an interdisciplinary research where I, I'm uh, actually uh, dealing uh, with history, but also anthropology, religious studies, uh, psychology. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, these things are necessary for understanding uh, phenomena like uh, miracles or stigmata, something, uh, the relationship to the supernatural. There is also one other uh, type of interdisciplinarity which is not very much practiced, is that uh, medievalists uh, should know the results of modernists and vice versa. So uh, on the one hand, one says that history is, of course, uh, a long train of traditions and one should know know about this, but everybody is specialized in one's own age and says, oh, that's modern, that's no more my field of expertise. And I think this is wrong especially if one deals with uh, uh, phenomena which are uh, uh, basically uh, very similar. Uh, So an individual's relationship to miracle and to the supernatural experience, that that has something uh, very common, and uh, it's not by chance that uh, modern people are uh, uh, reaching back to the prophets or the Bible or uh, ancient uh, church fathers. And so the, uh, one cannot 
of course, uh, put an equality sign to the experiences. One has to know its uh, historical context and uh, one should not uh, be anachronistic. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, uh, on the other hand, uh, religious history uh, has to deal with long durée. With so this is how I started to deal uh, with medieval uh, miracle belief and within that a special type of miracle, the stigmata. Uh, the stigmata, which is... Uh, a bodily miracle uh, that uh, the most famous initial miracle, not the first one, but uh, actually the start of uh, the cult of stigmata was with Saint Francis of Assisi, mm-hmm. 13th century saint, a major medieval saint, founder of the Franciscan order, who uh, had a vision uh, in 1227 and got stigmatized uh, at least this is what we got to know after his death, uh, 1227. Actually, it, it, that it happened, uh, 26. It happened before, uh, his death, two years before his death, uh, as his legend writer, Thomas of Celano says during a vision where a seraph, uh, crucified, uh, seraph and crucified man appeared uh, to him in the air, uh, when he was in hermitage mm-hmm. and, uh, uh out of this experience, the result was that uh, the wounds of uh, stigmata, uh, Christ's wounds, appeared on his body, and this this was discovered after his death. Now, this is this is stigmata, and uh, 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 though many uh, Franciscans retain that this is the only unique example that somebody. Uh, a, living, a human being uh, becomes uh, like Christ. Saint Francis was venerated like another Christ, an alter Christus. In it, the, the stigmata were actually uh, signs of his being uh, so important and uh, working so much for the redemption of humanity as uh, Christ, or almost so much in the Middle Ages. Now, uh, other uh, uh, saintly persons or other religious persons, uh, men and women, mostly women, by the way, uh, were also claiming to have stigmata, Mm -hmm. like St. Francis. And uh, this was a very uh, uh, long-term history, which started in the Middle Ages. In the Middle Ages, there were uh, there, uh, there, there was another very famous uh, stigmatic uh, woman, Catherine of Siena, mm-hmm. who belonged to the uh, Dominican order, and her stigmata appeared also during a vision, uh, but did not appear visibly on her body, but uh, uh, because she wanted them to be invisible, not to uh, pretend uh, that uh, she had that high honor. She wanted only the pain, but she wanted uh, the experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, then uh, uh, there were up to the present uh, stigmatics. And my paper here was about 19th and 20th century stigmatics. Uh, and uh, uh, the topic that I was dealing with uh, was actually how uh, medical uh, experts, uh, physicians related to this miracle. Because this miracle was very uh, special in the sense that uh, uh, the stigmatics have these wounds in their bodies, sometimes for years, sometimes for decades. Uh, they, and these wounds bleed periodically. These wounds do not get infected. So this is a very special type of bodily miracle. 
and uh, uh, religious people, mostly Catholics, because this is a Catholic uh, type miracle, are uh, taking it as a very important proof for the existence of God. Uh, that such a God can work uh, such wonders in the human body and in uh, on earth, which uh, cannot be explained rationally by scientific uh, or medical or other thought. And of course, doctors were challenged and wanted to examine, and uh, there was a lot of criticism and disbelief. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were very interesting cases, debates, and I was uh, presenting some of these cases. That's very interesting. And I think you gave a very broad like a conceptualization of how estimata happens in the Middle Ages towards modernity. Uh, I just thinking about what Michel Sartor said about uh, how mystical phenomena corresponds to also social context of what is happening in those centuries and Particularly, 16th, 17th century were very prominent for many, many mystics. I don't know about stigmata, but there were also stigmata. But also uh, stigmata. some of these mystics have stigmata. Right. Yeah. And how can we understand the social context of 19th, 20th century to explain the stigmata? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, <clears throat> one very important social context is uh, that. Uh, 19th and 20th century are centuries of secularization. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, after the French Revolution, uh, Napoleon, for example, dissolved many religious orders. Uh, and uh, uh, there was, against the Enlightenment and against the rational thinking, uh, uh, which wanted to uh, uh, sort of... Uh, uh, make uh, uh, the disenchantment of the world, as Max uh, <laughs> Weber said, uh, happen. Well, uh, there was a re-enchantment. Uh, 19th century, there was a Catholic uh, revival uh, with Chateaubriand and the genie of, uh, genius of Christianity and then many other movements. And the church and uh, uh, certain popes were very uh, uh, strongly uh, fighting against uh, the separation of church and state. Mm -hmm. And also uh, there were certain social classes which were were in support for that. In France there was a royalist movement, uh, but also uh, the church's positions in Italy, for example, which was a place where many of these uh, prophets and stigmatics came. That was Italy was living uh, at that moment the unification uh, of uh, uh, Risorgimento and uh, and uh, at the same time uh, at the same time a lot of resistances of local vested interests of churches and uh, uh, and a lot of uh, uh, contrasts also between uh, Rome and Vatican mm-hmm. and the uh, southern region or northern region so uh, each time uh, there are uh, there was a conflict situation, and in some conflict situations, uh, 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 the church uh, had its own uh, policies, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the policies was indeed to uh, to bring proofs for the existence of God uh, with very spectacular miracles. Mm-hmm. The most spectacular miracles were visions, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, La Salette uh, in 19th century or Lourdes. Right. Uh, uh, these, uh, uh, the appearance of the Virgin Mary and Marian miracles. 
But there were other miracles also related to the Sacred Heart, the Sacred Cœur. There were also, uh, and uh, there were, uh, besides these visionaries, there were these living saints, mm -hmm. the stigmatics, who had new revelations. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, one of the stigmatics, for example, that I was speaking about uh, was living in northern Germany. Mm -hmm. Now, northern Germany uh, was a place where... Uh, already uh, big uh, uh, contrasts were there between uh, Protestants and Catholics. Mm -hmm. Catholics were uh, in minority in northern uh, Germany, in Westphalia, mm -hmm. where, uh, but they, 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 they were there. And now uh, secularization brought another thing uh, in. So uh, there was an Augustinian nun called Anna Katerina Emmerich, who had uh, these bleeding wounds, these stigmata, and also uh, the crown of thorns. Uh, at least she had a vision where Jesus was placing the crown of thorns on her head, and they, they were regularly bleeding, uh, the, the place of the crown of thorns. And then uh, later, bleeding wounds appeared also on her hands and also across uh, on the chest, and uh, the, then a debate started, and this was an interesting case because uh, it was it belonged to Prussia. Mm -hmm. so Prussia was a, a, a secularized and Protestant monarchy with a lot of uh, important uh, scientists among them medical scientists. So they formed a commission to examine uh, these things. Some are, some were saying. Oh, this was uh, this was just self-inflicted wounds. Right. Others said uh, that uh, the, there are the uh, uh, the spiritual advisors were using her as a kind of medium, mm -hmm. were uh, telling her that her headache was actually from the crown of thorns and were uh -huh. influencing her. And indeed, that that was a nineteenth-century this mediumism. Uh, uh, related to mesmer and the mesmeri and the magnetism. Mm -hmm. Now, all kinds of explanations came up. But at the same time, uh, there, were, there was also uh, a very famous romantic poet, Clemens Brentano, mm -hmm. listening to her and writing down her visions as new revelations. And uh, these visionaries were telling uh, alternative history, what happened to Jesus and the Bible, or uh, details, and the... Uh, uh, the Collected works of uh, of Clemens Brentano are the visions of Anna Katerina Emmerich. Mm -hmm. He didn't even uh, uh, couldn't even publish the whole thing uh, during his life. He died, and his brother continued to uh, to publish it. So now, so this is the social context that uh, the role of religion in nineteenth century. And of course, we can go on. Let uh, me just switch uh, to the end of the nineteenth century to the. Uh, 1870s. It was the moment of the French Commune. It was the French and uh, the German-French uh, war, uh, the defeat of the, uh, France, and in France and in Belgium, there were a lot of a lot of prophets. Uh, so uh, first prophesying the death of Napoleon III. He did indeed die. <laughs> well, the, the, such prophecies are not very difficult to say yeah. that somebody will die at some point. Yeah. But uh, also they wanted to bring back, uh, uh, after the commune, uh, monarchy to France. There was a candidate, uh, Chambord. And, uh, and, 
and so these 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 were actually the the, the questions uh, and there was a stigmatic called Louis Lato in France and also another stigmatic Palma Mattarelli in Italy and these stigmatics uh, were also related to an ecclesiastical kind of un, uh, uh, there was an informal network within the church mm-hmm. which still exists today that there is the official church and then there is a, a grassroots level contact uh, among the charismatics mm-hmm. who are uh, cultivating supernatural phenomena. Uh, today it is Medjugorje and uh, all these things. In the 19th century, these stigmatics were, de- uh, were there and there were some, some doctors. There was a doctor uh, that I was talking about. He, he was from Clermont-Ferrand. Uh, he was a royalist. He was a, a doctor, uh, a professional. Uh, uh, called Antoine Amber Gourbert, but he went to the stigmatics uh, to explain uh, that these phenomena are indeed uh, uh, unexplainable. And he, as a doctor, says, I know about everything about dermatology, uh, everything about all kinds of illnesses you speaking about as rational explanation, but it is wrong. These explanations are unfounded. And actually, he was publishing uh, books mm-hmm. just to support the stigmatics so so that that's the, that's the interesting thing that uh, besides the doctors who wanted to uh, have doubts in the stigmatics mm-hmm. there was a group of believer doctors yeah. who wanted to defend the stigmatics with the argument that these uh, phenomena are actually beyond uh, our capacities of explanation mm-hmm. this is why it is coming from god and it is true that uh, some many phenomena are impossible to uh, to explain. So today's TV shows X Files, for example, that uh, to the, the today's supernatural beliefs are related to uh, UFOs or uh, all other things. But the riddles of nature are indeed a good point where belief and belief in the supernatural starts. And stigmata is a long tradition, and this is also a riddle. So many in many cases, in the first place, what I want to say is uh, that uh, these persons are truly religious persons. Mm-hmm. And uh, persons who really uh, concentrate on, uh, on the suffering of Christ... Mm-hmm and want to uh, understand with a great compassion the suffering of Christ, and even acting out. Uh, on uh, So most of the stigmata appear on uh, Holy Week, oh. when uh, Christ is uh, so before Easter, right. and uh, on Holy Friday mostly. And uh, many of these stigmatics uh, are acting out on Holy Fridays, uh, the, uh, the crucifixion. So just like a mystery play. Mm-hmm. And their wounds start to bleed on Fridays. Mm-hmm. That's a very, very particular thing, that they just in memory of Christ. And at the same time, they think that uh, they are suffering the same way as Christ for redeeming humanity from its sins, mm-hmm. uh, so helping humanity. So it is a kind of uh, uh, psychological disposition, which is also uh, becoming a bodily disposition. So, so many things are psychosomatic, mm-hmm. certainly. And uh, in in some cases, it's clear that uh, there is fraud in it. That they are they 
but in in other cases it is difficult to say and the these persons uh, are also uh, as, uh, having very sincere mystical texts and uh, dimensions so it's a very a very complicated thing you you mentioned Michel de Certo for I example yeah well there there is a, a stigmata uh, well not stigmata but actually uh, actually uh, sir Jean des Anges uh, also had some wounds yes. uh, uh, which were uh, actually uh, stigmata from the devil but mm-hmm. she was showing it in in the royal court and it was there so she had also uh, a very complicated personality so Michel mm-hmm. de Certo could analyze that this is a very strange uh, uh, and very uh, complex psychological uh, phenomenon when one lives a uh, religious experience exactly. to that point he was saying was saying that these eyes have seen yeah. these has hands have touched the stigmatism yeah. so kind of providing a factual a factual uh, experience towards what is stigmata yeah but uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask as well is that you mentioned this this in your presentation that there was Catholic doctors that were yeah. giving a, a confirmation that it was in fact miraculous event, and therefore it cannot be explained. Yeah. But there were, you were also mentioning that they had Protestant doctors, yeah. that they were more uh, incisive towards desecrating this phenomenon. Yeah. So we you elaborate more on that divide in between the med- same medical discourse, how this was different? Yeah, well, <clears throat> basically, uh, yes, uh, as you said, uh, uh, it's not by chance that uh, Protestant doctors, uh, so... One uh, Protestant doctor was, for example, uh, one of the critic uh, of uh, this uh, 19th century stigmatic uh, Louis Lato. Louis Lato, who lived in uh, in the second half of the 19th century in a small Belgian village and uh, and uh, got the stigmata at the age of 18, and uh, a big medical debate started. And uh, where the Catholic doctors were uh, describing her stigmata, and then uh, a very famous uh, authority, Rudolf Virchow, uh, uh, from Germany, from Berlin, uh, a Protestant doctor, uh, was uh, writing a, a long study, Überwunder, on the miracle, mm-hmm. and the Protestants were uh, Protestants were uh, they did not deny a miracle. Absolutely, but uh, they denied this type of uh, 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 massive production of miracles that the Catholics uh, Catholics uh, have been uh, relating to the to the saints and to the stigmatics. Mm-hmm. So they were uh, for a rational. Um, they were more for a rational explanation of uh, of these phenomena, saying that uh, if. Uh, one does not have the explanation yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, one should not in immediately uh, say it is a miracle, but one can uh, sort of uh, explore it uh, further. So there was a, 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 pro- a, a Protestant discourse which was more uh, rationalistic, uh, but uh, but uh, that does not uh, does not mean that uh, they were. Uh, uh, refusing miracle on the whole. Uh, mm-hmm. So they were reaching back to St. Augustine. Mm-hmm. St. Augustine, who 
also said that uh, actually the small miracles are just uh, to convince the disbelievers. Oh. But uh, there are only uh, uh, two uh, big uh, miracles is uh, the creation of the world and the resurrection of Christ. And uh, these, are, these are actually the, the big miracles and uh, the rest is just, uh, it can be explained uh, rationally just as well. Also, uh, uh, the Protestants, so the 19th century uh, polemics on miracles uh, were a good field, uh, good field for uh, continuing this debate, but actually the debate started uh, uh, already in Luther's time and, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, the pro- Protestantism refused a lot of the uh, things uh, in Catholic beliefs, among them the cult of the saints and the cult of the relics uh, as uh, something which is they labeled superstition. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a long uh, uh, set of debate uh, related to that. So one uh, good uh, authority who who examined this in uh, England, for example, was Keith Thomas, Religion and the Decline of Magic, a big monograph where uh, he pointed out how uh, Protestantism was uh, kind of refusing what they considered to be the magic of the medieval church and uh, wanted to bring in more rational arguments. Excellent. Well, we are almost out of time. Yeah. But if you could give us some concluding remarks about your presentation, I think it would be a good way to wrap it up. Yeah, so uh, I told many many things already which were in my presentation. One thing uh, I haven't uh, mentioned yet, that I ended uh, with the famous 20th century stigmatic Padre Pio. Uh, Padre Pio, who was a Capuchin friar uh, in South Italy, who was uh, stigmatized in 1918. That was also a typical historical moment. a moment uh, of the uh, First World War uh, with a lot of uh, uh, horrible experiences uh, uh, European people and Italians also went through. Uh, uh, And uh, the stigmata was also uh, interestingly related to South Italian uh, uh, situation and history. There were strong clashes between uh, a triumphant uh, socialist movement and the Catholic Church. Padre Pio himself was uh, also uh, an interesting individual. He was an ailing person with a lot of illnesses. Uh, That's why he he was exempted. He was uh, ruled in as a soldier, but exempted from military service then because of his illnesses. And uh, he became a friar in a very remote uh, Capuchin uh, convent uh, in San Giovanni Rotondo, but a a place where a lot of miracles happened because it was just uh, uh, behind the Monte Gargano where uh, the famous miracles of St. Michael, the Archangel, came. Uh So it was a... Italy, in general, uh, was very favorable to miracles. And uh, it was uh, not only uh, all the places uh, where miracles used to happen made it uh, kind of uh, common knowledge that miracles do happen. And this is how the stigmata came out uh, from Padre Pio. And the story itself is a very interesting story because... uh, 
from the point of view of medical debates, uh, his stigmata were very debated. Uh, mm. They were debated because a pharmacist denounced him that uh, he had some iodine tinctures to disinfect uh, his uh, wounds, but some doctors ex- uh, accused him that this was actually to perpetuate uh, the wounds which could have happened uh, out of an illness or uh, other reasons. But uh, because stigmata, for stigmata, it's very important that uh, the stigmata should happen by divine intervention and not by self-infliction. Uh, uh, that is also that can also have devotional background, but it is not a miracle. Right. Uh, so uh, stigmata should be miraculous. And and then the debate started, and there was a long inquisition uh, uh, examination of Padre Pio uh, with. Uh, all the witnesses and everything, and there was a very important Catholic person, a Franciscan friar, uh, uh, Agostino Gemelli, uh, who later was the founder of the uh, Milan University of uh, the Catholic University, uh, uh, and uh, uh, and he was very doubt. He, he had many doubts. He was also not only a Franciscan friar, but also a psych- psychiatrist and uh, uh, a doctor. Mm-hmm. And he he thought that uh, Padre Pio was a f- uh, doing a fraud, mm-hmm. but others other uh, supporters of Padre Pio were defending him, right. and there was a long long debate. He was sentenced to isolation for ten years, uh, and also uh, that he should not uh, uh, have uh, because he was also a pre consecrated priest, but uh, Padre Pio that he should not confess and uh, give public sermons. We, we, he gave the public sermons with stigmatic hands, oh. like Christ. So that was very impressive, but uh, some others said that this is uh, just a fraud. But then in the 1930s, he was uh, pardoned, and then uh, his cult was starting in his life, and actually uh, he 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 lived with those stigmata for fifty years, and he had some very popular uh, actions. He built a huge hospital, mm-hmm. uh, hos- hospital in San Giovanni Rotondo, in a, a very very background region where he was really bringing uh, a lot of good things to his surroundings. And then uh, he was uh, later on uh, uh, very much venerated by some popes like Pope Giovanni uh, 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 John Paul II, uh, the Polish Pope, who who was doing pilgrimage to him uh, already from Poland from uh-huh. the 19, uh, 1940s. And uh, when he became pope, he he was uh, cert- uh, he he one of his aim was to canonize Padre Pio, which he did actually. So uh, so he started the veneration of Padre Pio, and now he Padre Pio is the most popular uh, saint. He's a kind of saint of the people, and uh, the notion was also that the people wanted to be him to become saint, and the church, the high priests, resisted for a while, but then they gave in, and now they canonized him. Right, right. Now it's part of the institutionality. Yeah, yeah, but there are some others still have doubts. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
in any case, uh, that he's uh, one of the most uh, remarkable saints of the 20th century, mm-hmm. and all his life course is related to 20th century Italian history, right. and there are very good books on him. There is one good I- Italian historian, Sergio Luzzatto, who wrote a, a, a wonderful monograph on him, uh, where he is uh, portraying Padre Pio really as a... a somebody who represents 20th century Italian history with all these contradictions. Very, very interesting. I think it's like, yeah, all the mystical phenomena are related to society in one way or the other. Certainly, yes. Uh, I think that's a very good takeaway for our interview. We thank you once again, Professor Karitsai, for being here at the Lee Stice Project, and we hope you have you again soon. Yeah, okay, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks so much for that interview, Sydney and Gabor. Um, just to say that we've had confirmation from the EASR that they will be supporting one of our interviewers uh, in going to the IAHR in New Zealand uh, next year. Hey, so that's amazing. That's wonderful. That's great. That, that is going to be quite a quite a thing. So um, do get in touch if you would like to volunteer. If you you have to now compete with. Um, uh, with Sydney's, I think six interviews. So you know, at least, yeah, yeah. at least, and, yes. and, I, and I think I personally demand that we get an on-site Hobbiton interview. Like this, this just <laughs> has to happen. So, um, it in America at least uh, is the week of dread, the week of Black Friday, where uh, we give thanks for um, all the great things that we have and the plenty that America has in our cultural holiday, but the next day we go and uh, spend a ton of money. And one of the things that our listeners can really do to support uh, the Religious Studies Project and really make sure that we have the funds to help people get audio equipment and to send them to really um, exciting conferences to share live interviews with you is what, Brianne, what can they do? So we have a very special Um, I suppose you'd call it an affiliate link through Amazon this week. And David, what does that do for our listeners? Well, basically, it's if you use that link and then go to Amazon and do your shopping there, then they give us 5% of what you spend. No no extra money comes out of your wallet, but it comes out of Amazon's profits uh, to support the Religious Studies Project. Um, it's, It's not just for Black Friday, it's any time you like uh you can drag the link out of the website and we'll be making it quite clear it should be in the show notes for this episode and we'll be sharing it on social media um drag that out into your into your you know into your browser menu there and use that every time and it really does contribute quite a bit of money to uh, the project which helps us um pay people for doing work for us so and that's not just books it's not just clothes or toys it's amazon grocery it's uh, your peanut butter guys everything (laughs) all all your supplies you could build a whole house and and have five percent of it come to (laughs) to the religious studies project which which we would appreciate it is important to say click on the link from your country because sometimes it gets a little bit skewy. So make sure if you're in the UK, you click on the UK one, or if you're in America, click on the American one. 
Yep. So it's uh, .co.uk.com or .ca if you're in Canada. And Brianne, we should look into getting an Australian one. Yeah, because my peanut butter is currently not helping, and we need to fix that. That's yeah, great. we. I think you know we could raise a substantial fee just off your peanut butter money every year. So let's get yep. that. let's get that sorted. There's a there's one more way that listeners could support us if they were feeling uh, considerably generous in a monthly form, uh, and that's to support us on uh, on Patreon, where we are patreon.com slash project rs. Uh, David, can you tell us a little bit more about how uh, Patreon works? So Patreon has several levels where you can make, uh, you can either make a one-off payment if you want to support the project, but you can also sign up for $1 a month, $5 a month. And um, for that money, you get access to exclusive uh, extra episodes, including our uh, discourse episodes, which we record every three weeks, and uh, which is our news and current affairs show. And also, Are You My Data, which is uh, a different format of interviews with some uh, leading scholars at the moment, finding out a little bit more about how they teach, how they write, um, their backstories, and uh, sometimes some quite controversial questions to them too. Um, So if you're interested in that, sign up. Some of the higher tiers have things like our exclusive uh, enamel badges and notebooks. And um, the biggest reward of all, though, however, is knowing that you're supporting keeping all of these interviews and interviews to come free for people around the world who uh, want to find out more about religion from a critical point of view. And that's, that's the biggest reward of all. Absolutely. Uh, next time we have uh, an interview that, that I did, uh, Bree, do you want to tell us about what, what I, what I did? Yeah, that's a good idea. It's kind of odd to introduce yourself. So um, we have an interview coming up with our very own David McConaughey, and he interviewed um, Brad Onishi on the concept of the straight white American Jesus and his podcast on that. I'm very much looking forward to that. But um, apart from that, all there is left to say is... Thanks thanks for for listening. The Religious Studies Project is sponsored by the British Association for the Study of Religions, the North American Association for the Study of Religion, and the International Association for the History of Religions. The Religious Studies Project is produced by the Religious Studies Project Association, SCIO, a Scottish charitable incorporated organisation charity number, SC047750. Brought to you by editors Brianne Fallon and David McConaughey, and founding editors Chris Cotter, that's me, and David Robertson, that's him. Our features are edited by Rebecca Barrett-Fox with marketing managed by Benjamin Marcus. Our Opportunities Digest managed by Ella Bach, podcast transcription by Helen Bradstock, and social media managed by Ray Radford. Don't forget, you can support the project by using our amazon.com.co.uk and .ca links or donating at patreon.com backslash projectrs. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, iTunes and other portals. Thanks for listening.